Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast. Brought to you by the fine folks, Five Reason Sports. Shout out to Ethan Skolnick. As always, you can find Five Reason Sports on Twitter at the number Five Reason Sports. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, the Shula Bowl pod on Twitter at Shula Bowl pod. You're probably wondering why am I only mentioning those Twitters and my own Twitter? Because I'm pretty sure you have heard the news. We are actually recording this on November 11th, one day after the announcement that Pete Garcia is no longer the athletic director at FIU. I'm going to toss it over to a gentleman who I know has been waiting for this day for a while. Uh, I don't want to appear as if I'm celebrating because, quite frankly, I don't have anything to celebrate. There, I, This is a moment that if you are in the camp that wants to celebrate it, you should be a Panther or a Panther fan. And with that, Mr. Handel 321, it is all yours, sir. Do, do, do you hear that, Eric? That's me blowing out my victory cigar, baby. Let's go, man. It's about damn time. In the words of LeBron James after his first championship with the Heat, it is about damn time. Oh, my God. The sun is shining bright on Pantherland, baby. This is, um, you know, this is fantastic news. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not going to hide. This is fantastic. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Sure. It, you, know, pe- you know, maybe there's somebody out there who's like, oh, man, look at this. Look at this douche uh, celebrating somebody losing his job. You know what? This guy's stolen half a million dollars for us per year for 15 years. Kick rocks, all right? This is this has been a long time coming. This should have happened years ago. Um, you know, for the first, honestly, for the first time this year, probably on this podcast, I've been able to come in here and actually celebrate something, Eric. I have finally, finally, just happy. That is my name. If 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 they can see it here on the the Uber conference here, my name is Happy because I'm. This is just. This is good news. This is us, you know, finally moving on, going to be able to, you know, turn a new page, start a new chapter, hopefully bring in a guy who actually cares about the university, actually wants to make the athletic program better, somebody who will actually, you know, get along with alumni um, and, you know, put, you know, actual effort into, you know, not only the football program, into all the programs, um, And it's just, it's very, it's a very, very good couple of days. I'm going to be celebrating all weekend. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this victory cigar, Eric, because I am pumped. So I will quickly kind of give the timeline of events. I'm going to assume all the listeners know the timeline of events, but I'll give my timeline of events. I got a, a text from a source. The night we actually recorded this podcast initially that you'll hear on the back end, which, of course, is the recap and preview of the game from the week prior. I got a text about 30 minutes after we finished recording that saying that there was some legitimate movement in terms of a meeting and that Pete Garcia would no longer be the athletic director effective immediately. And, of course, I, you know, I'll bring it to a little bit of the journalistic uh, (laughs) standard here. 
first thing I did was text David that, right? <laughs> that's the that's the journalistic move. You text David Honda. It was it right? was an Eric bomb. The only, <laughs> the only bomb is better than a Woj bomb. <laughs> first thing you do is you text David Honda. David said, you know, he was excited, but he also was. I've seen this before. I'm I'm going to be cautious on this one. And I said, you know what? Yeah, let's 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 play it safe. But then. I went to bed that night and woke up to quite a few texts around 5:45 in the morning, with people saying, "No, this is this is not you know uh, uh, this is this is real. This is probably going to happen today." And got to give credit to the amigo on Twitter, uh, Larry Milian. He uh, tweeted that out 6:22 that Pete Garcia had cleaned out his office. I followed with a tweet about 7 a.m. that it was uh, official that Pete Garcia would no longer be the athletic director, excuse me, the executive director of sports entertainment, which David, you may not get this reference, but I got to give a shout out to my uh, fellow underdog dynasty, fellow underdog dynasty uh, co-worker, Jared Kalmus, who tweeted this out about that title, which I think we both can agree. We hope that title is, is now dead. Uh, you're the athletic director, no longer the executive director of sports entertainment. Jared tweeted out that that title is when you have to take care of a women's tennis match at 10 a.m., but then also schedule a Drake concert at 3 a.m. That is the, uh, at 3 p.m. That is the, uh, the <laughs> executive director of sports and entertainment. I don't know what entertainment uh, you know he was in charge of, but uh, that title should be dying a slow death. Uh, to get into kind of you know it's the serious meat of the matter here, David. I'll, I'll I know this is a celebratory occasion for you know Panther fans, so I I'm, I will put on my serious journalist hat here and, and say this, right? Like these are the things that I, in my opinion, in my four years, haven't been around the program. I think have to change one as we're recording this, there was an actual video representation of an athletic director, interim athletic director, Heath Glick tweeted out a video of him making an appeal to Panther fans in Nashville to go watch FIU football in Charlotte to go watch FIU men's soccer in South Florida to watch the women's basketball team. And I was not being funny. I think people think I was being funny when I sent this tweet out. I said that there are people with much longer recollections than me of this athletic program. But in my four years, I have not seen this. And David, I want definitely want your opinion. The tweets have been flying in saying, no, we haven't seen this in four years. We haven't seen this in 10 years. We haven't seen this ever. Um, I, I really want FIU fans to understand this. You don't have to accept this. And I think I saw Chia Panther and your dad have a little bit of back and forth as we're typing this, as we're taping this right now. That that's not normal guys. Like that's not normal to not hear from your athletic director outside of announcing a Marlins park game. That's, that's not whether it's forget me as a media person, right? Like, sure. It makes my job easier if I can have an open dialogue with the athletic director. And there are plenty of ADs in conference USA who talk with the local media. Forget me. I'm saying you guys as fans should expect to have someone who appeals to you, who calls you and wants to go, wants you guys to go out to games. The athletic director position shouldn't be someone who is against or defensive of the fans. They should embrace them. David, last thing, because I I, I don't want to, I want to leave you room to rant, but at UCF during, and I always like to say, give the example of when UCF had its stretch with 2017 and 2019 of unprecedented success. Excuse me. Sorry about that, David. It was not uncommon to see Danny White, then UCF AD Danny White, just walking through the tailgate, shaking hands, hugging babies, talking to people 
asking them what they like, asking them, you know, what they want in a concert series. Uh, you know, just if a fan had a, a complaint about what uh, Josh Heupel did on third down, Danny White wasn't going to shoot you off. He would hear it. I, I, I don't think he was taking it back to Josh Heupel, but he understood that was part of the role was to engage that fan base and be visible. I, I, I can't underscore this enough. What FIU has been subjected to in terms of their athletic director is not normal, and you don't have to accept that. The, the floor is yours, David. Well, Eric, um, you know, everything that you just mentioned is, is what an AD should be doing. Everything that you just mentioned is also everything Pete didn't do. He, it was like, it felt like it was a burden on him to like deal with fans or alumni or students. You didn't see him anywhere. I mean, Heath Glick has been the interim athletic director for 24 hours, maybe, and he's already done more than Pete's done in 15 years. This guy, like, this guy, like, has wants to do nothing with the fan base. Like, nothing. He never has either. Like, he is just the fact, honestly, the, the most, you know, obviously it's been a very, you know, great 24 hours, but the fact that he's even been around this for 15 years is absolutely wild for the fact that he just did not want like to like give FIU that exposure that other ADs do even, you know, not only just, sorry, Danny white, um, but his brother at FIU who does a fantastic job over there and does, you know, he's very interactive on social media. Most ADs, you know, are, I'm not saying all of them are, but most of them at least have a Twitter account. This guy didn't do anything like that. He, he, he wanted to hide away in his office and, and, you know, work, you know, if he worked behind the scenes and, uh, and you'd never see him. Right. And, and I, and I actually, cause this just came out, Eric, I don't know if you've seen this yet. Um, Butch just was asked about it, um, about Pete Garcia. And it's, it's very well documented that they were friends before this, you know, one of the reasons Pete fired Cristobal was because he thought that he had Butch on lock. And then, you know, that obviously didn't happen. We get the wrong turn of years and then he lands Butch, right? Honestly, at that time was his saving grace. It's the only, it's the only reason he wasn't probably let go at that time. And they were, they were, you know, friends before I've heard uh, that that relationship is no longer a thing. And I've, and this, this comment kind of, uh, you know, Kind of proves that. Um, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out. Eric, let me know if you've seen this. this yeah, from- so really really quick, I'll try to set – because I'm going to assume you're going to read from Walter Villa's article in the Herald, correct? Yes, yes. You're right. So what uh, what David's talking about is I uh, just saw it come across my wire. The the title or the, the headline, which Walter didn't write for those – you know, sorry, journalistic little faux pas there or standard there. Uh, the, the title of it, uh, the headline is, Butch Davis said FIU ADP Garcia had separated himself – in the past 10 months. Okay. So just wanted to lead you up there, David, go for it. Yeah. So in, in, in the, the article, there's a snippet that I'm, I'm reading here on, uh, on Twitter that says from Davis, I don't think I've seen Pete more than two times in the past 10 or 11 months over the past nine or 10 months. Pete had somewhat separated himself from all sports and had spent almost all his time raising money because the athletic, the athletic department was somewhat in debt. Okay, that's the only snippet I have here. But if your athletic director has been seen, you know, on in the facilities on campus, 
one to two times in 11 months. That, besides all the other red flags, is a huge issue. I mean, that is like, it, it just epitomizes like how bad of a job he was doing. And it's just like, it, it's just such a burden, it feels like. It, it honestly feels like, like we just won the natty. Like, I am so, so excited for a fresh start, somebody who hopefully comes in and actually wants to interact with fans, interact with alumni, um, you know, build a good relationship with, with the, 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 the coaches, not only football, but all of them, um, because Pete has strained a lot of relationships throughout his time here. Um, he's, you know, and, and granted, I'm not going to fully bash. He's, he's brought, you know, he brought us Butch. He, he hired Mario at the time. Uh, Ballard's a really good coach. Um, you know, there's there's some spots, but the, the the negatives completely outweigh the positives because it's just set. You know, he set us up for 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 failure. And it, 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 the the best example is he when he joined. Um, you know, we we were just becoming D one, and he's you know we were you know independent and you know looking for. Right before the Sun Belt, and now he's leaving us in a depleted Conference USA um, with uh, uh, football-wise uh, a record of of one and I believe thirteen, fourteen in the last two years. Um, facilities that haven't changed in a long time. Um, excitement couldn't be any lower because he, you know, there's I, I walk on campus and like. You know, there's there's really no hype, and sure, is that all on Pete? Probably not. But you know, as the athletic director, you would want to be involved and and in bringing attention to your programs. That was never done. Um, so it's just like good riddance. All right, good riddance. So I am going to outline, and again, let's credit Walter Via from the Herald for that article. Uh, check out Walter's work in, in the Herald, of course, but. I am going to outline things that, again, in my four years or four seasons, I should say, on the beat, things that I know for a fact directly were attributed to Pete Garcia. Um, in terms of running an athletic department, David, these are things I don't know how much fans care about these things, you know, and we're not going to go too long because I think we're almost at the 20 minutes here. You know, we're just going to tack us on to the episode that you guys will listen to. But um, I don't know how much fans care about these things. But they matter in terms of being taken seriously as a Division I program. David, I'm glad you mentioned that Pete Garcia came on in 2006, uh, a few years after the transition from FCS to FBS. Perception is reality, folks. Uh, I would implore any FIU fan to go check out D1 Ticker. Maybe I'll tweet out the article from the uh, Pod account again. There was an email in terms of talking about perception. Overall perception of schools in the Sun Belt and in the Conference USA. David, do you remember this, where FIU was ranked last in every single category by rank of 80s? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not necessarily that that's FIU's reality, right? That's real. But the bigger point is the perception is the reality. Because there were things talking about, for example, Charlotte having more football success than Florida Atlantic. We know that that's not true. Charlotte's never won a conference usa title they just made their first first bowl game a couple years ago but the perception when you have an ad like mike hill who was out there being preemptive david um i'll give you an example and you tell me if this is something you could ever fathom from pete garcia my charlotte's mike hill they've been planning 
for this day for a while, the day being that they would have an opportunity to join the American conference. They didn't know that the day would ever happen, but they said, hey, in case realignment happens again, we want to be ready. They reached out, they being Charlotte and Mike Hill, reached out to the Carolina Panthers four years ago and said, hey, if another round of conference realignment happens, we know that we play in a stadium, Jerry Richardson Stadium, that was 17,000 seats. That's not going to be the most desirable for American for the, uh, a bigger conference. Can we work out an agreement preemptively to where if we need to host a larger opponent, we can play at Bank of America Stadium? Four years ago, David, they did that. Guess what? That day came, and now they don't have to worry about that. That's the type of planning that an AD has. That's perception being reality. That's where little things like Pete Garcia, the fact that you don't have attendance being registered, I'm telling you right now on the record, that's because Pete Garcia didn't want it to be marked down. Mm-hmm. Things like how the, the specific you know, um, titling that can be used in game stories, that's because Pete Garcia didn't want it. The word brawl, you can't use that in those things in titles because Pete Garcia didn't want it. And, and listen, I know that, you know, I don't have to think, all right, that's the UMFIU brawl, but just something as simple as, oh, uh, the Panthers lost a, 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 a dogfight or a brawl. Can't say that because Pete Garcia, the man had time to worry about those things, but not interact with his football head coach. I don't know what more to say. I, I think you, that's, I think the perfect wrap up to just show what type of AD this guy was. So Eric, I know you have no stake in this, but I have a cigar waiting for you when you're, when you're back in Miami. I appreciate it. I probably will take you up on that. Listen, I don't have any stake in it. You know, this is all for Panther fans. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end it on this, man. Uh, as a UCF grad, like the one thing I wanted pre, you know, all the success was for my school to be taken legitimately and seriously. And I was able to see that happen, A, as a student, uh, when they won the Fiesta Bowl, <laughs> and they got a chance to see it again as alumni when they, you know, went 20-something to know. And one day, maybe 10 years from now, uh, I may, hopefully sooner, who knows? I probably won't be on the beat by the time this happens, but I hope FIU fans get that, that um, opportunity. And it starts with a wholesale buy-in from the top down and... I'll just say, you know, in my four years, the way things were were being done at the AD level weren't going to get you any closer to that. So that's the biggest I will go in terms of a celebration. But with that, we hope you enjoyed this little recap and enjoy the preview of next week's games as long as – and it's in addition to the recap of last week's games, both FAU and FIU fans. For FAU fans, so this is not just the FIU podcast. So uh, hopefully you've made it through these 20 minutes because we had plenty to say about FAU they, uh, you know, their situation, 10 and 8 under Willie Taggart in the past 18 games. Definitely got a big game coming against ODU in Norfolk. Cannot lose that one. So, FAU fans, hopefully you've made it through this and uh, enjoy what's on the backside. Welcome back to another episode of Podcast, Five Reasons Sports. You guys know the deal, full house. You know the cast and crew, Eric Henry, SB Nation, Shane Marinelli, Owls247, David Handel, FIU Superfan. Why am I speeding through the intro here? It's because obviously it was not the greatest weekends for both of our beloved teams, or Shane and David's beloved teams. Want to clarify that right here, UCF1. Uh, FAU obviously lost a, a tough game, a rivalry game, one that, or at least you know, a, a de facto rivalry with Division Foe Marshall. We will get into them in a second. And FIU, what has become unfortunately a bit of a standard this year, and 
really over the past two and a half years. The Panthers fall to one and eight on the year, one and 15 since the upset victory over the University of Miami. Going to jump right into things here, David. Um, not too much as far as the game that we really can recap. I mean, to be honest with you, I will, I'll leave it to you to just give whatever assessment you have of the game, and then I will go right to Butch Davis's presser because I have some points I think FIU fans, they may not want to hear, but they need to hear. So I'll let you really kind of give your synopsis of the game because I, I don't have too much more to offer outside of that. Yeah, I mean, Eric, here I am again talking about another loss. Um, and it's just like this game was basically to me pretty much went the same way that the FIU Charlotte game went right. That, um, you know, this team refuses to build on any sort of momentum. Um, you know, there, there are multiple times in this game where, where we, you know, it's either a one score, even two score game. And we just made a stop and we, we have the chance, you know, either tie it or cut it close. And then we just can't score. And then we wait for them to score until we want to convert on a 70-yard bomb. Just to tease me, just a bit. So there's a little bit of hope. And then we get the ball back. And guess what? Another Max Bordenschlager pick six, baby. I feel no pain. Uh, I am just in a state of forever. Um, you know, I mean, I, th- honestly, this is, this is my hell. I mean, I'm living my nightmare um, you know, it, they, these losses have gone to the point that they don't even bother me. Uh, it's just like, just get me to 2022, get me out of this. Just <laughs> there's only three games left. You know, I feel really bad for these players, but man, I need to move on for my mental health. This is not good. It is, there's not even a spin zone I can give you. This is just, we have reached rock. Actually, we really reached this a few weeks ago, but you know we keep somehow going lower. We're reaching the equator at this point. Um, I mean, that game was just you know no fun. It was just like okay, here we go again. So that's pretty much all I've got for you today, Eric. There's there's not too much more to talk about except you know another 300 yard game from Max that you know is the fakest stats of all time. So as I said, I don't have too much more to offer. I want to dive into something and I want to leave enough room for David to opine. I also want to give, especially, you know, really want Shane's opinion. I'll, I'll have him come in last here on this one, but I definitely want Shane's opinion as someone who is, you know, boots on the ground, high school football, recruiting all things for two, four, seven, definitely want him to give his opinion as well. I think it's one that FIU fans may need to hear, but um, here's go ahead and tee it up guys. Post game. People have had some people reach out to me on, on Twitter. What did Butch Davis say? It, it was much of the same. In terms of, you know, the the effort and what he was proud of, those things are much of the same. Two things stood out to me, and I'm going to relay them here to David and to our audience. One, Butch Davis said, the issues we have, they aren't really fixable. That was almost, initially, my ears heard that, it's almost as if you're waving the white flag, right? So that caught my interest. The second thing was when he said, We have 15 to 18 guys who are playing who really shouldn't be out there. Now, this team is not one that's really besieged by injuries. This is not last year where they had a ton of guys injured in COVID. Yes, they have a couple injuries in the secondary. Yes, Hal Vinson left after one game, and that's certainly hurting them in terms of, you know, pass rush and Tevin Jones is injured. But injuries, and Shamar Thornton is another guy, Dorian Hall, but they're not massively injured. So I asked myself, 
Why is Geo Richardson, a former FCS quarterback, now turned safety here at the FBS level, making interceptions in a game, and Jackson McDonald, a former walk-on, is playing snaps at tight end, and Carson Kaleo, another former walk-on, former uh, high school teammate of Hayden Carlson, has been playing a lot of snaps as a year receiver. I asked myself, why is that? And then I went ahead and did a little research. David, I said this to you. I wanted to make sure. Normally, I don't prep you for these podcasts, but I wanted to make sure I prepped you for this point. When you look at FIU's 2018 and 2019 recruiting class, there are not very many players left on this roster. I'm going to go ahead and read through the names for FIU fans. And the reason I choose those two classes is because these are the players who would be juniors and seniors this year. So I'll just run through a list and just for background. And then I want David to give his thoughts on the air uh, and definitely want Shane to chime in as well. But let me run down this list. All right. But from 2018, Tier Tarts in the NFL with Tennessee. Talon Humphrey didn't make an impact, was dismissed from the program, is now at Louisiana. Louisiana Lafayette. Kadarius Gaskin, you're going to get used to hearing this phrase, no longer with the roster. Jamal Anderson was a part of the team during the spring and fall, but not officially part of the team on the roster now. Donovan Georges. Uh, Donovan George, a guy who is on the roster but doesn't really play very much, contributes on special teams. And those are the guys, you're going to have a handful of those. I'm sure Shane can attest to this. You're going to have a handful of guys each class who stick around for four years, don't really become starters, but they're, they're you know, back of the rotation guys or special teams guys. That's Donovan George. Ivan Thomas, no longer on the roster with Louisiana Tech. Demarcus Townsend, not on the roster. Jason Mercier, essentially a starter now at defensive tackle. Sean Peterson Jr. showed some promise last year. Obviously, the running game hasn't done well this year, so he's essentially a, a second or third string running back, you know, depending where you, you call him with Flex and Eric Wilson Jr. De'Antoni Demery left after last year, wasn't drafted. Joshua Sanders didn't get to campus. Marco Dillard, not on the roster. Jordan Underwood, a reserve wide receiver, doesn't really play. Caleb Lynham came in as a quarterback, reserve wide receiver. Shamar Monroe, not on the roster. Sterling Palmer, we know. Rocky Jacques-Louis, we know, contributes from time to time. Cam Burns, John Bolding, not on the roster. Jason Walker, a solid starter. Lindell Hudson, uh, obviously a right tackle starter. David O'Mara, second or third string tight end. That would be your senior class this year. Go ahead and look at 2019, David. And this is the one I'll, after I'll run this one down for you, I'll, I'll just bring in your thoughts. Flex Joseph, second or third string running back, depending on what day it is. Kendra Gant. And this is in order, folks. This is in order of... 247's recruiting class. So Kendra Gant is your second highest rated recruit. Not on the roster. Stone Norton, not on the roster. Sione Finau, starter. Nikendra Carter went AWOL after four weeks, not on the roster. Joe Hawker was a guy who had a, uh, was a, had a suffered, excuse me, had suffered a torn ACL senior high school. He's still been recovering on the roster, but doesn't really get a lot of playing time because of the injury status. Logan Gunderson. On the roster, I don't believe Logan Gunderson has appeared in a game in his career. Uh, Nate Jefferson, Chris Mitchell, those guys are on the roster. Deshaun Davis, not on the roster. Nate White, not on the roster. Kamarian Williams, back of the rotation tight end. Nazir Carter, special teamer. Ty Danzi's getting the start this week because Hal Vinson and uh, Tevin Jones are injured. Shamar Habdi Lee, back of the rotation right now, offensive tackle. Julius Pierce in the rotation at, uh, at center. Tommy Heatherly, All-American punter. Brian Dillard didn't qualify. Uh, Tyrese Chambers, I, I got to get more specificity as to whether he's assigned to the class of 19 or 21 just based on his uh, situation coming out of high school. We obviously know 
he came in this year. David, transfers from the class of 2019. Obina Nakonko, the guard who came over from FAMU, he got some time, but no longer uh, part of the team. Jeremiah Holloman, enough said. Josh Turner, starter. Chris Whitaker, not on the roster. Uh, Nicole uh, Jagai, came over from Northern Iowa, was a special teamer. Tyson Maeva, not on the roster. He's in uh, Fresno State, I believe. Um, Alexi Jean-Baptiste, we know what happened, not on the roster. Malik Williams, back of the rotation running back. David, uh, I'm pretty sure you kept up with all that. Have at it, sir. Okay, so there, first off, I mean, thank God I was on mute cause, so you couldn't hear the tears coming out of my eyes when you read that list. Wow, so much for, you know, the top recruiting class in Conference USA. Um, like, I, that is, <laughs> that's just absolutely disgusting that we could not either retain or just, you know, half those guys, you know, either other schools are just not on the roster or just not even getting playing time. It's just like, I guess that's a more of a reflection on the coaching staff of, you know, not being able to get the best out of, you know, these players because they're not, they're, they're not developing these guys well enough that they're either playing or, you know, they're not developing relationships to the point that they want to stay. Um, I mean, that is like, that is dumbfounding to me that, that, that many people like that, though, that many players are just either not on our team anymore, or not even involved you know, with this current, with this current team, I mean, that, that's just a really, really bad look. I mean, that's, I, and it's almost, it's, in, it's inexcusable. Um, like that is absolutely brutal. And I, I just don't like, I don't even know. I mean, I know, how, you know, you can't really fix it. It's uh, you know, it's called hitting the reset button. Um, but I mean, the, it, 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 it it makes more sense to why we're in the position that we are today um, that we haven't been able to take advantage of, you know, or, or developing guys that we initially, you know, were highly sought after and we just haven't been able to get anything out of them or they just no longer want to be here or are no longer here. Um, so it's extremely disappointing, especially when, you know, considering one of, you know, the biggest pros to, to Butch in his entire career has been recruiting. And when you hear that, it's just like, man, he really just couldn't do it. Like, I, he couldn't do it here. Like, this, it, it ended up being a failure toward the end. And it, it just, it's sad because it's like, it, it, it just puts things in perspective of, wow, like, he kind of fumbled the bag, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I'm sure Shane's going to have more in-depth if he deals with recruiting more heavily. But, like, it's just, like, that's kind of insane to me that that, like, the list that you read of how many of those players just had zero impact or are just no longer here. Um, so, yeah, I'll pass that to Shane. Um, but that that's insane. <laughs> that's absolutely David, insane. David, 30, 30 seconds before you go, because we know you're getting ready to hop off. You know, we're going to produce this live. I need you to hop off. 30 seconds before you go. The trend continues. Jose Mar from 2020. Jose Mirabal, not on the roster. Xavier McGriff, not on the roster. Uh, Maljan Jor, not on the roster. Just, I, I just for FIU fans need to hear that. And then last but not least, David, here's the last that I'll give you and then let you run with this. And I, I definitely want Shane's opinion as someone who's, again, on the ground with recruiting. David, I did the, the math. 
there are 61 players on this roster who have not experienced an FBS win in their time <laughs> at FIU. That's, I cannot. <laughs> there you oh, go. Oh, man. Um, I, just, I, just, I mean, now, I, you I, know. No, go, go ahead, David. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You can go. I was just going to say, well, now I know why they don't want to be here. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 the reason I looked up that point, and then Shane, I'm going to toss it to you, is, listen, I'm on the field. I make a point to go on the field, especially on the road, um, before the game ends, because I want to see the players walking into the into locker room. And when you see those faces, that they're just, they almost look as if, like, they don't know what to think at this point. That's why. 61 guys on this roster have not experienced an FBS win with an FIU uniform on. Shane, definitely want your thoughts. Or, well, or, sorry, before, yeah, before you continue, David, before. I also did want to, I mean, besides the fact that that's, you know, crazy, especially because you, you had told me before, you know, we started recording, like there, you named a few of the names. When you just hear them all, it's, it's actually even crazier. But there is one point that I did want to get to that you mentioned right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Of the Butch Presser where he, it seemed like he was basically throwing the white, white flag and, and, you know, almost saying like, you know, how, you know, what he could have done differently or like saying that, you know, we couldn't do anything differently. I'll tell you exactly what we could have done differently. We could have, you know, played a bit more, uh, you know, aggressively and gone. There were two fourth down uh, possibilities or opportunities that we had that, you know, if you're a one in seven team, I don't know why the hell you are punting on a fourth and one, like on the 43. Yeah, I get it. 43 yard line. Yeah, you don't get it. You know, whatever. But guess what? They ended up driving down the entire length of the field anyway. So guess what? You are one in seven. Take the shot. You, you, it, it's just this cookie cutter offense that, and this conservative view, you know, view to the game that, that, that this coaching staff has had these past couple of years just doesn't work anymore. Like, like you see it all throughout not only college football, but you see it throughout the NFL. Coaches that take risks, the risks most of the time pay off. Like, y- you know, you, you see, like, for example, like I was watching the, the Ravens game this, this weekend, and, 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 and I know it's the NFL, but like Harbaugh going for, goes for it on multiple fourth downs uh, in a drive, which results in him getting a touchdown and the Ravens ending up cutting that lead and ending up winning the game. Right. We're, I, I, I believe we were, I don't know, we might have been down, you know, I forget how much we were down. Oh, we were down two scores uh, on, on fourth and one, and we decided to punt it right before half. Like, dude, just take the shot. Like, we have nothing to lose. Like, it's like little decisions like that that are like, like, just put a little bit more, more faith. Like, dude, you, you don't use Devontae Price had like 10 rushes. Like, bro, just give him the rock. Like, come on, man. Like, it's just little things like that. And it's happened throughout the season. For like 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 when we didn't go for a fourth and one in the goal line, and you know we got three points and ended up costing us. So it's little things like that 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 also falls onto his lap. That you know I think that can very easily you know could shift momentum and you know maybe turn some of these losses into possible wins. So, um, but yeah, you can now move move back onto the, the recruiting side. I just wanted to throw that in there because I forgot to mention that earlier. No, no, again, you know the I, I I'll say this. I see both sides of the coin um, given the list of guys that I just ran down and the lack of really quite frankly, you know, deaf on this roster. Um, if, if you think he, if you don't think you can get it, then sure. I understand sending out the punt team, but I do also understand playing the circumstances, which are, you are one in seven being a little more aggressive at least. And I can understand the fans 
frustration, which is it almost feels like this is the same decision that would have been made, whether you're one and seven, seven, one or three and three. But at this point, I can understand the fans POV, which is like, hey, we've got nothing else to lose. Why not, you know, put the ball in the hands of your best player, Devontae Price, or, you know, your 6'3", 225 pound running back and Sean Peterson Jr. make something happen. So I definitely can understand that point. But Shane, uh, I just, again, kind of want to frame it here before I let you go. And, and I, I definitely, again, you know, really want your expertise on this. But I chose 2018 and 2019's class for a reason. Those would be juniors and seniors this year. Those are the highest rated classes, 18 and 19, that Butch Davis has signed. Um, those guys aren't there. So when Butch Davis says we're having to play upwards of a dozen, a dozen and a half guys, or walk-ons, when we've got an injury here or there, he's telling the truth. Uh, so Shane, just that level of attrition uh, on the roster, you know, want your thoughts and can, I don't, I don't care just as an outside perspective of someone who studies this and really finds value in this. I don't care if it were USC or FIU. Can any team have that kind of success or can have, can any team have success at all when you have that kind of attrition you know, from your recruiting class? Yeah. So kind of a lot to, digest and talk about yeah, here. I yeah, like, yeah. and, and just kind of going down and I, I just remember a lot of these kids. I, I, you know, you, you know, a kid from the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Jamal Anderson, the kid I thought was going to be really talented. Um, you know, just uh, uh, reliving some names that I remember seeing, um, when I first started doing this years, no, first the simple answer to your question, no one can survive that type of a attrition, Right. And let's just be a hundred percent. We live in a world right now where college football coaches have to recruit every day and not only the next three star, not only the next four star, not only, not only the next kid that might come available in the porter portal, you have to recruit your roster, every, your own roster every single day. That is something that Butch Davis as being an old school coach did not have to do. Okay. Or it, it, I, I don't know, you know, how uh, with it, it, the director of player personnel and, you know, the assistants, but that is something you have to do. Again, FAU has had very little roster attrition. Actually, probably not enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get to that we'll subject later, right? In a second, uh, you know, uh, with some guys, you know, they're actually over the scholarship. You know, this year you're allowed to be over 85 scholarships are actually over this year. Um, they actually have some positions where it's like, okay, a couple guys might need to transfer here just because they're just kind of a log jam, you know, especially last year with COVID and everything messing years up, you know, you have 10 red shirt sophomores at, in the interior of the line. So we'll get to that for you. Um, but you need to recruit your roster every single day, right? You recruit your roster with culture. Um, but obviously winning helps, right? Like winning comes with that culture, right? And it's, and culture is one of these things where, you know, it, 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 just to compare it back to FAU, you know, the guys who are seniors and super seniors now, most of them, um, you know, the Kikis, the, the Amon Rosses and the stuff, the, you know, the Corral Smith, the guys that have been like through the battles, right? And it, they don't let that type of mindset seep into a locker room. Right. And I grant it now, again, it's, it's, you're never going to avoid it, but if you don't have that culture, we live in a world where if it just doesn't go well for players, it's portal time. You know, the university of Tennessee has lost, I think three kids this week uh, to the portal. 
I, I do think it will start to slow down as more and more kids realize that schools can only take, you know, there, there might be some rules adju- adjustments, but nonetheless, right now, you know, schools are limited to how many kids they can take, no matter how many they lose. So the more you lose, it only creates more problems. And if you lose kids that were supposed to be seniors and juniors, guess what? Coaches stop recruiting high school players and they just go to the portal to fill gaps, right? And now you're getting kids from the portal and those kids come with, a lot of those kids come with issues to begin with. You're only taking a bigger risk, right? So these problems kind of always snowball with rosters. Uh, You know, what really stinks about a lot of these kids you see is a lot of them are local kids uh, that left. It's, you know, it's not like, you know, and it's, and especially when, when you have, when you're in the area and you have like the families here and stuff like that and people are in your ear and you're not winning, it's hard and it's hard to combat that. But, you know, I just wonder if Butch Davis just, let's just be real, being from another time in college football, you know, we speak about Butch Davis's recruiting. Okay. The, I mean, the guy recruited before services <laughs> um, were invented and he didn't have to worry about, you know, losing these kids. And it was just development. It was suck it up. You're here for five years or you could go sit out a year. Right. And that's not the case, man. It, it and it's rather unfortunate. And for the next coach, it's going to be nearly impossible for him to turn that, this around. It, it's going to take three full cycles. You, you have a couple options. You know, you hire whoever the next FIU coaches and go out and get 25 kids from the portal and try and flip the roster quick. And maybe you get lucky. But, you know, there's part of me that thinks, and, you know, we'll talk about this with FAU, is – you know, unless you're getting kids from the portal that maybe went somewhere for one year and realized it wasn't for them, or you have, or you're a team that's really close to winning, you know, maybe like for example, and we'll talk about FAU, it, it, you just have a couple holes somewhere, right? Your team is like the one edge player away, or the quarterback, or you really need a right tackle, or really need a corner, because that could be the difference between you and winning conference. USA. say, go get that grad transfer at that point. But if you are not in that situation and you're not getting transfer players with three to four years of eligibility left you need to hit the high schools hard you need to evaluate you need to do your background your recruiters need to be grinders and when i see attrition like this it makes me wonder what was going on with some of these decisions and if it some of it could have been predicted with some of these kids granted you never know how an 18 year old is going to act when they show up to a college campus and then they got to live the life of a full-time job, you know what I mean? Being a uh, division one FBS college football player. But yeah, I mean, I think there, I think the attrition says it all. And you know what? We, you know, people talk about play calling all the time. And, you know, for the most part, if you watch college football all day, some are a little better than better, better than others, but, you see a lot of the same stuff and a lot of the same schemes. Information's so shared these days. Nobody's running much better play calls than the others. College football is a game of Jimmys and Joes. Much more. I mean, the NFL, the talent is more compressed. But 
Kirby Smart did not all of a sudden become uh, a much better coach this year. They have an NFL defense. It, it, it's it's simple as that. And it, and when you just don't have the Jimmys and Joes, you have people screaming from the rooftops. Be you know, be more creative. Do this and that. Well. You know, eventually you just got to lean on some guys and they just got to go win one-on-one battles. And FIU just doesn't have the dudes right now. Shane, I do want to ask you one last thing in terms of the FIU situation where we transition to FAU. And again, this is I'm asking this specifically because you are based in South Florida, rooted in South Florida. And as Dan Levitard says, you know, he's only passionate about one market. You are only passionate about, or I should say only passionate, but you're mainly passionate about one area of recruiting, and that is uh, South Florida high school recruiting. So I want to ask you this, Shane. Um, are there any names from the 18 or 19 recruiting class? And I'm going to kind of stall here to give you a little bit of time to pull it up if you need be. But are there any names from the 18 or 19 recruiting class? Or let's just say 18 in general um, that for whatever reason or another just didn't work. I know you mentioned Jamal Anderson has been one guy. And he's a guy who when he saw the field, he actually – memory shows me correct. I think he had – he was fourth or fifth in conference USA in pass breakups last year, despite the team only playing five games. So he had a, a, a nice year, but again, you know, he had the off field incident where, you know, can't predict this, but he ended up getting shot in the backyard of his home or family members home. And, you know, that kind of affected his situation. But when you look at some of the guys here in terms of South Florida natives, you know, Kadarius Gaskin, a high three-star Donovan George, a high three-star Ivan Thomas, uh, a mid-range three-star um, Jason Mercier, Sean Peterson, those guys all South Florida based. So, Shane, any of those names, if you haven't had a chance to pull up the uh, the list, or any of those names just catch your eye as being the most surprising from South Florida who didn't work out? Uh, well, I think I, I think one name, and I don't want to say surprising. Sure. I think, just remember, uh, I think Kadarius Gaskin was a good baseball player as well, too, right? Was there, did he ever end up playing baseball at FIU? I need to know. Okay. Uh, he's one of those kids who was, you know, 6'3", 215 coming out, right? And I remember it was a big deal. And I'm just talking about him because I remember his recruitment very well. Um, FAU fans don't like when they lose kids from Delaware Atlantic, right? It's, it's probably the best school right closest to FAU. And it's like one of these personal, you know, F, there's there's a group of FAU fans that love when they get kids from that school. FAU's got a couple coming, but I'm just telling you, for someone that follows recruitment, it's always like, oh, we gain or lose the Atlantic kid. And I remember there was people upset at FAU they didn't get Kadarius Gaskin. And but he's one of those players that hits size where it goes two ways, right? He's that tweener, that tight end receiver, okay? And you either know how to use him or develop him in a certain way right off the bat, or he's going to spend the rest of his time being kind in between, kind of slow to be a receiver, kind of small to be a tight end, doesn't really see the field, and it just doesn't work out. Right? Like, that's the type of kid you really have to have a plan as a coaching staff. Now, I'm not saying maybe that's not the reason it didn't work out, but, you know, there there was kind of that thinking of him coming out, right? But he he was really talented. Uh, You know, so... uh, you know, another kid they after they went after um, in that class. Uh, you know, I'm looking actually the next class is. It, 
Hold on, let me get a chance to switch my ears here. Uh, you know, you get, you, Kendrick Gant's not on the team, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, you know, that kid was legit coming out. Legit. Big fans. Uh, I remember Andrew's a huge fan of him coming out. Uh, and, you know, maybe it just didn't work out academic-wise. But there seems to be a lot of these type of problems. And again, there's there's some par- comparisons between right now with Butch and the end of Howard. It's you really wonder if the details of running the program are falling through the cracks. And that's all you could draw this type of attrition up to. You know, is it, and this even happened at the end of Lane. You know, when I think he was maybe half a step out the door. You know, is you know, are all the little things being checked up on academically, you know, or is there a kid that's maybe having family issues that's, you know, that concern is brought and known to the head coach because now with these kids, these kids can just enter the portal before the coach even knows there's a problem. You know what I mean? So no, if you're, you're not on top of these, yeah. And if you're not on top of these things and if it's, you have kind of the old mindset and I, I'm making a little bit of assumption. This is what, Again, I've said this before, Butch Davis comes from a different time of coaching where player X, Y, and Z doesn't go to coach and say, you know, I miss mom. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay, you're, you're starting Saturday. You know what I mean? It, it's a very tough it up old time, and you just, it doesn't work that way anymore. So I really wonder if those things have been let through and obviously the losing just compounds all these things. It's like, why do I stick around and go through a hard time and suck it up to be in this program when it's not even worth it? No, Shane, listen, allow me to pick it up right there. Cause I know you're kind of, you're kind of half wanting to put your foot in because you don't cover FIU. Right. So part of it's speculation, allow me to say this, Butch Davis has gone on record as saying he is not a fan of the transfer portal. He, we have heard the story from him many times in terms of, Guys like uh, I'm forgetting, is it Cortez Kennedy or or which one um, will end up being uh, the number one draft pick defensive tackle from the Hurricanes? I didn't believe it was Cortez Kennedy, but it, it yeah. may be another one. Yeah, well, I'm forgetting. Yeah. And Butch Davis says, you know, that that's a guy who when he came in, wouldn't have played immediately as a freshman or sophomore. But he gets some time as a junior and as a senior, you know, stands out and makes his way and, and, and you know, becomes a first round pick. But Butch Davis is giving us many examples in terms of his running back room in 98 with. James Jackson and Clinton Portis and Najee Davenport and Ezra and James and, you know, uh, McGahee coming in the year after and so on and so forth. Right. Um, Jarrett Payton. So he's given us examples of saying, hey, back when there wasn't a portal, these guys, you know, you couldn't just up and leave. So, Shane, we, we, we won't fully know the truth, but I don't think you're erring. Well, you're erring. Coach could. But Eric, a coach can talk about how they don't like the portal and a coach could sit here and I'm not a big fan of the portal because as someone who knows these kids, I see the negative effects. I get tagged in four tweets a day about a kid that, you know, is, oh, looking for somewhere to play, have four years of eligibility. Here's my huddle. Like, you know, they went somewhere and came back. And the most of it, the truth is most of these kids will never find another home. Again, you get, schools are only allowed to take, it doesn't matter if a hut, they might change some of the rules or some rules being talked about, about like a 25 and, 
you know, taking, being able to take X amount of transfers per what you lose. But um, right now you can only take, let me explain this to you for the FIU fans. That don't know. You can only take 25 kids a year. If 47 kids transfer out, guess how many kids you can take to replace them? 25. That's it. All right. The way the red, you're allowed to have a 85 scholarship players total. Okay. So if you do the math, 25 kids a year with the red shirt over five years, that's a hundred players. So it does allow for some attrition. It basically allows for, you know, two to three kids, a class, essentially three kids, a class, um, to, to just not work out and, and stay at 85. But in this problem, we're having to do where teams are losing half their classes and they can't replace them fast enough. You can't plug enough holes in the ship. And it, it only snowballs. But, it's again, it's one thing for a coach to understand it and see the negative effects and see all these kids that end up nowhere after they go in the portal, all right? Uh, you know, like again, there's like 1,300 kids in the portal right now. But also know how to understand and play the game and work it to your advantage and understand that we need to work on not just, re- again, like I said, the next three-star, we need to recruit our own roster every single day. And, you know, college football is changing. You know, maybe you should have went to, in some of these bad seasons, should have went to some of these younger kids earlier. That's something you might have to do. Show these kids playing time. You see it at big SEC schools all the time now. You just saw it at Miami. I think Miami is a perfect example for it. Granted, they were struggling and had some injuries. Right when things were going bad, it, people started asking questions. It's really funny how all of a sudden James Williams and Leonard Taylor both started seeing significant playing time and starts. If you if you say that's not if that's not recruiting your own roster, you're lying. Again, I think you 100% hit the nail on the head. Shane, definitely want to dive into FAU here because just check the clock. We're 30 minutes and changing, have not gotten to the Owls, a team that is dead in the heat of the Conference USA East division race. Listen, no other way to talk about it. It's a disappointing loss. Not necessarily that you lost to Marshall. And I, I want to give you enough room again, Shane. You're, you're going to you're gonna get your uh, you're going to earn your money here tonight in terms of talking. I want to leave you enough room to opine. I definitely have some thoughts as well from maybe a more broader or from a broad Conference USA perspective. But when you take a look at East Division race, Marshall, 4-1 conference, 6-3 overall. They top the East. Western Kentucky, 4-1 the conference, 5-4 overall. Their second, FAU, comes in third. 3-2 in conference, 5-4. That is because they took a 28-13 loss to the Thundering Herd. When you take a look at the game, I know for me, the big, and I've watched this game twice now, the big thing for me is, A, and Shane, I know you'll talk about this, at what point in time do we stop saying, hey, Willie Taggart can't get this team to play a consistent four quarters of football and just say, that's a coaching thing. Because it's only so many times it can be a consistent four quarters of football. But Shane, to me, in specificity of this game, the second quarter, you have to, have to, have to close halves. You give up the opening touchdown, the kick return, all right, that happens. It is what it is. But when you look at the way they gave up the final two scores of that uh, of the half, what was what, under five, six minutes left in, in the quarter, 
and just a matter of Corey Gamage converting a big third down on Romaine Smoke Mungin, which, okay, it's going to happen, but still, you know, that's, I believe that was a third and long, if memory serves me correct, that, uh, that, um, uh, Corey Gamage will catch that pass on Smoke Mungin and they end up getting the ball back and you give a big run to, um, Brendan Knox. So those are really my big takeaways as far as where the game got away from FAU, Shane, but definitely want to leave you some room to opine on the game. And then of course, I know you're going to have some big picture perspectives as well. Well, the game was lost when the, the game changer you play with Jaquan Burton dropping what probably would have been a, like an 85 yard touchdown right before half. That, I mean, that you got to think at the very yeah, that's least. Fair. Huh? No, sorry. I just was saying that is fair. That is very fair. At the very least, if he catches that and even trips. FAU goes in 16-14. I mean, this sounds familiar with the UAB game. You're driving. You look like you're going to take control of the game at half. Uh, you know, for the FIU fans maybe still listening, Burton lets it slip through his fingers. And, man, if he would have caught that, I mean, he has the speed to probably, you know, if he keep his balance, he would have pulled away from those guys. You know, and then you're looking at 20 to 14 going in half. You know, FAU's forced a third down. There's only a minute left. They punt the ball. You know, uh, and it's just, you felt it all coming, right? Like this, this is how football works. You make that mistake. It just, the little things start to, your defense just kind of had to, I, I don't want to say longer drives, but they just got off the field twice versus Marshall. All right. And you felt them just being tired. You know, the punter hits a low lying punt. Marshall gets a good return, a short field. They score, I think two, three plays later. And the whole thing, feel of the game just changes it goes from wow we had the we drew the perfect play up for us for six and it wasn't taken advantage of uh you know later in the game we when they were down early in the fourth quarter and they're still in it or you know late in the third quarter they're still in it they're driving they're down a score johnny ford hits a big run fights for fighting for extra yards cuts fumbles the ball you know after you had all the momentum you know they they ran for over 240 yards for Marshall. Uh, and then, you know, later in the game, it's just another one. They had a, a, to get it within one score. Wester just dropped. I mean, it just threw the bed, bed, bra- bed uh, bread basket at the three yard line. Just a terrible drop. Uh, and you, you just, those three plays, and you look at it and say, okay, well, that's 17 points we on the board and handed. But that's been kind of FAU's MO in these games. Uh, you know, get it, there's some other issues, but it, yeah, I've been going back and forth in my head. I, I get, I'm, I'm way more of a Jimmy's and Joe's guy, okay? People could say play calling and stuff, but if someone sits up high in the game, I could see receivers getting open. I could see us running the ball. Uh, I know FAU struggles in pass protection. There's a couple little things I'd like them to do more, but Eric, changing from our conversation we had a little bit last night, and I can ask you this. Right now on FAU skill positions, it's third and eight. Everyone knows what's coming. And you need to have these type of players in games where it doesn't need to be some, uh, you know, creative play call where it freezes the safety and a guy gets picked and the guy comes wide open. It's third and eight. FAU needs a first down. They need to go to somebody who's just going to get their hands on the ball. Who is that for FAU right now on offense? 
there is no standout number one option. And that doesn't mean necessarily a number one receiver, right? What it just means is, despite the fact that Willie Johnson was the guy who burned FAU uh, on Saturday, you know Corey Gamage is that guy on third and eight, right? Like, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> you can find and he, a and guy. he caught a couple of big ones where he was right in coverage there. And he just freaking Gritwell's just even, not even Gritwell's. I don't even think has that strong with a heart. Like he, he some of his yeah. passes over the middle kind of, they float a little bit. <laughs> and he I, just gets him. He's a big boy. Like he just boxed out Mungin, who I thought played a great game. Did all he could versus, but it's just like, hey man, this is, I'm getting this first down. I don't care if you know it's coming. So, and just to finish up, Shane, the point I was going to make is you can go up and down uh, CUSA. I'm, and for listeners, I'm not saying that the people I'm going to name are better than what's on FAU's roster. I'm just saying that they at least have a guy who was established who, to Shane's point, it's third and eight, you go to this person. ODU, Zach Koontz is probably going to be your first team tight end, second or third in the league uh, in receptions. Uh, Western Kentucky, Jarrah Stearns. You know, you, you go down to Charlotte, Vic Tucker, Grant DeBose, like just by function of either their team, that person's play or their offense, there was a defined guy who they go to for FAU. You can tell yourself, is it Brandon Robinson? Is it Willie Ryan or Jante Wester? Is I don't, it, I don't, Brandon Robinson has been a, has been a fine receiver at FAU. He's been a nice receiver. He was a walk on at one point. Uh, Wester has exploded in his sophomore or second true freshman year, whatever you want to call it. Okay, he's had a really nice season. He's dealt with some drops. It's been his only thing. But, you know, just truthfully coming out, he was kind of an underrated prospect, but not a ton of offers, more known as a kick returner. Uh, you know, and he's turned into be a really nice slot guy. He's a little undersized. And, you know, sometimes that guy isn't the guy. I mean, you just, you need 6'3", 210 pounds. And, you know, and then the other receiver, Jaquan Burton, is another walk-on. You know, uh, it was originally went to Southern Illinois, Juco, and then came back home to FAU, and he's been a nice surprise. He's been a great player. He's great if he's your fourth receiver. Right? I mean, it, he's great if he's your fourth receiver. And, you know, TJ Chase is getting a lot of snaps, who is a transfer, and he's not producing like he was last year. Uh, Aaron Young is missing in action. Demarcus Adams missing in action. And and what I think kind of happened, you know, kind of skill, skill position-wise, the FAU offense is, you know, Lane had his issues recruiting receivers. Many didn't stay on the team or make it. Taggart got here. They had to kind of scramble for some transfers. And when you are in a position where you are scrambling – for transfers, the risk is really high. Uh, there was a good story Bud, El- Bud Elliott did on 24-7 Sports about how since the early signing period started, first-year head coaches, that class, when they take over, three, you know, because now the first-year signing period was in 2017, now that we've had like three, four years of data, seeing where those classes have kind of ended up, they're all bad. Like there, there wasn't a first year head coach in 2017 that had a good signing period that ended up with a bunch of guys. So, you know, we've just seen, it, you know, and it, it, it's starting to, it's starting to kind of appear for 
Taggart, especially with the transfers in that early period, that you're just left with, you know, you, you end up getting hired a week before early signing period and 74% of the country signs that day. So you are just, <laughs> you're picking kind of at the bottom of the barrel to fill roster holes. Shane, I want to ask you one more question in terms of roster construction, maybe roster utilization. And then I do want to get into next week's games with FAU facing Old Dominion and FIU facing Middle Tennessee State. But my question in terms of roster utilization is this, and it's one that I think I've speculated on a lot in terms of the Conference USA podcast, maybe not as much on this podcast. I it, to kind of bring listeners, you know, behind the curtain. This is a question I, I asked Shane uh, a couple times last night. Is it fair to make the assessment now with Willie Taggart's record being 10 and 8 through 18 games? And you're going to have a fair amount of bringing in certain guys from your previous stops or maybe guys who you recruited or maybe guys who your position coaches recruited. That's just going to happen. Um, but can you make the argument? Because I do feel, and anyone who listens to this podcast know that I, I'm a fan of Willie Taggart personally, but can you make the argument that he maybe is not utilizing his roster in the best way and you know i'll let you opine on that which however direction you want whichever direction you want to take it in but can that argument be made uh yeah again i'm going to give a pass for the tw- the first class sure i'm going to look at the players in there and we're still feeling the effects of it and granted they took more high school players have a bunch of you know gray shirts coveted from last class you know, more guys that are long-term development guys that I love a lot of the young guys on the roster. And then, you know, FA is still super young in its front seven. I mean, their whole, their whole D-line is mostly <laughs> true freshmen. And they've been very good against the run this year, struggled in the pass rush. But they'll get there with some of those younger guys. You know, there's, there's still development to be had. Yeah, like, again, I'm going to give him the pass for that one. You know, there is some questions, you know, I I do think FAU fans are wondering in a conversation we had last night is, you know, I I never thought I'd just look at Larry McCammon and and Malcolm Davidson and wonder what's going on here. Granted, let's just be real, those guys have had injury issues in their careers and not just minor ones either. Uh, and you wonder what type of players they are. Maybe there's a couple long-term effects in there that just they're just not the same players they were a couple years ago. And so I, I just think you know maybe we overrated this kind of skill, position, talent on FE's offense, and it's just you know it's it's leading to some struggles. I'm gonna go ahead and transition to next week here for FIU again with David hopping off. I will take the lead here with previewing. The game against Middle Tennessee State here is going to be the big factor for the Panthers. A, um, there's, you know, FIU's banged up in, in terms of the secondary. It's We know with Josh Turner, Dorian Hall, don't know their status for this week as far as what they may or, or may not be available to, um, to contribute. Right now, when you look at just roster for roster, you got to give the edge to Middle Tennessee State except in one area, Shane. And these are two guys who I know that you know very well. South Florida, known for producing a lot of talent in the high school uh, in high school football. One position that it's still outside of maybe uh, you know 
the GOAT to Mike White in his one performance that he had and Lamar Jackson. And uh, I think I'm missing one other South Florida quarterback uh, that I'm missing right now. But not known for losing a lot of quarterbacks. Middle Tennessee State. Kobe Brissett. They down. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there we go. You go from set. There we go. There we go. But uh, started for the Dolphins this week. Um, Middle Tennessee State and Rick Stockstill. Chase Cunningham out for the year. Their original starter in Bailey Hockman left because he's having a family. Uh, they're down to third string starter, or excuse me, third stringer Mike DeLeo and true freshman uh, Nick Vadiato. Uh, both of those kids are Broward County natives right there in Shane's backyard. Uh, Mike DeLeo is from Pembroke Pines in Cooper City, and Vadiato is from the uh, university, excuse me, attend the university school, but I think played at that, uh, at that prep academy because, you know, with the COVID situation. So uh, here's the deal. You know, uh, Mike DeLeo started his career at Florida Tech. So obviously, you know, was not someone who was highly recruited coming out of Cooper City. Obviously, FIU has the quarterback edge. But with that being said, I just went down, we just went down as a, as a podcast, the litany of issues that FIU has roster-wise and to why their depth overall, uh, as far as their roster, just isn't where it needs to be. So those are the things to keep an eye on. In terms of matchups, I'll give you a couple. A, Middle Tennessee, They've struggled to run the football. It's been specificity from their running backs for a long time. That number has increased a little bit with the offense shifting away from Asher O'Hara, who, of course, was a legendarily a Panther killer. He is no longer with Middle Tennessee, he's with Sacramento State. Uh, so you will see a few, bit more of the running backs in specificity, Martel Petway and Shatan Mobley. You will see those guys. Uh, can FIU's run defense, which, again, has had their issues, in the last, what, 18 games, if memory serves me correct, or it might be 20 games, FIU has allowed over 200 yards rushing in 13 of them. So we, that pretty much speaks for itself. Another matchup definitely on the outside with the young cornerbacks. Henry Gray should be in line to get another start. Want to see how he's going to be able to fare with a pretty deep Middle Tennessee State receiver uh, group there that, you know, again, they've really suffered from not having a traditional quarterback with Asher Harris kind of, kamikaze style quarterback the past few years when you look at guys like Yusef Ali and Jaron Pierce and others there you know Jimmy Marshall they, they have a really deep and veteran group of receivers who can make plays so that will be an issue and last but not least in the kicking game and the punting game I'll give the edge to FIU of course Tommy Heatherly wrote a piece on him today uh, one of the better punters in, in all of the nation but Chase Gabriel last time he's truly been tested it, you know it, it hasn't turned out well so that edge I'll give to Middle Tennessee Definitely want to transition to a big, big game. One that I know I wouldn't necessarily have pinpointed as a big game for the Owls coming into the year. But as someone who just saw ODU play live, this is a very, I'm going to give you all the cliche buzzwords, Shane. Scrappy. They fight hard. They compete. But the fact of the matter is this. And anyone who's listened to Conference USA podcast knows that I've said this about former ODU coach Bobby Wilder for a while. Bobby Wilder was great to get that program started. But at a certain point in time, you know, it, it just wasn't going to work out. And the one in 11 roster, one 11 team that he coached in 2019, they weren't nearly as bad as that record states as bad, as much as they just were a horrible offensive team. A lot of the same guys who were on that 2019 team are contributing Blake Watson, 702 yards. I believe it was third in conference USA and rushing Elijah Lala Davis uh, had hundred yards last week against FIU's got about 480 yards. You look at the quarterback position, Hayden Wolf. Ricky Ronnie made the transition from DJ Mack, the dual threat guy, to Hayden Wolf, the three, former three star quarterback from Venice. And he's responding definitely more of a passing threat. Zach Koontz, one of the better tight ends in CUSA. Defensively, Harold Blackman, other guys, Roger Cray, a very a veteran Western, a veteran Conference USA cornerback, started Western Kentucky now at ODU. 
Um, they got the kid from uh, Miami, the linebacker, Jordan Young, um, uh, another one. Um, so uh, definitely have a lot of play- playmakers at linebacker. So uh, I'm seeing a lot of playmakers on defense. So I'll just tee it up with that, Shane. When you look at FAU, what are your concerns heading into this one? Just that they're going to, you know, that they just make three or four plays every game out of 70 that are just that like flip the whole game. That's just been kind of their MO all year. Again, you, you look at their two big losses, it, it, you know, uh, Marshall and in a lot of times football, you could, oh, you point to a couple games, you know, a couple plays in every football game. That's how football works. But it's never, uh, Eric, am I wrong? Is it, is it kind of more evident with FAU than any other situation where it's like, dude, just, just these, these three plays, you win that game. And so, yeah, let's just, if they go around and they do their thing where they, they're a li- they start a little slow on the road and, you know, it, it, it's, it, they're going to be in a dog fight. And like I said, they don't have something offensively that they could just say. It's it, sometimes you expect that, you know, good teams do this. They go on the road. They know it's tough. They know a lot of times it, it's like, a, like, you know, they say in, in basketball that kind of the role players don't play as good as what well on the road, right? It's, you know, maybe the guy that shoots 43% from three at home on the road, it goes down to 35%, Right. So you know you're going to get a little bit of less from those kind of roles, guys. And then that's when you just kind of lean on a star and say, hey, get us out of here with a win. Who's going to do that right now? I mean, Nikosi can just get it to his guys, which he's done. And he should have four touchdown passes the other night. But, you know, uh, you know, hopefully they figure it out. But FAU has responded well. One thing I, I will say, even in this is going to last year when I thought they could would just roll over. It, it, not just so much rollover, but you had everything with COVID and back-to-back short weeks and tough situations. They play really hard for Tagger. So if anyone thinks that, oh, FBU's going to just slept through the season, no way. There you go. We will see what happens. Definitely a interesting weekend, probably more so in terms of the standings for the Owls, but definitely interesting weekend overall to see how things shape up with FIU, how they fare at a place that's been a house of horrors for them in Floyd Stadium over the past few years. But with that, we want to thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Shula Bowl Pod. You can find Shane on Twitter, first off, doing a hell of a job. Got definitely a fan of his uh, in-week work in terms of his, you know, little fun stats and a lot of little things that he comes up with his pro football focus features and things of that nature. Doing a great work at Owls247. Can find him personally on Twitter at Marinelli Shane. Can find David on Twitter at Mr. Handel321. Last but not least, you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Thank you for listening. Um, I would like to say happy football watching, but for the FIU fans, it's been a struggle. So Enjoy watching football in any form or fashion, and we'll see how things play out. See you again next week.